Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Hello. What's happening, Derek? Not much, man. I'm, uh, I'm, it's that uh, precursor to camping. I'm, it's a, been a busy week. Oh, it's going to be a busy one right up until Friday. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm one of those people that tell my uh, clients, hey, uh, by the way, I'm not here next week. <laughs> so they, well, if you're not going to be here, then we might as well give you all next week's work now. Oh. So you try to get two weeks worth of work done in one. <laughs> I shouldn't have told them. Uh, where's Sean? Well, <laughs> he didn't tell you he was going anywhere? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then Friday, you're leaving at four and like five to four. Oh, hey, before you go, I'm sorry. The person you have dialed is not <laughs> <Exactly>. in service. <laughs> he left at noon. <laughs> if this is an emergency quote, maybe you should have been on the ball and given it to exactly. us much earlier in the yeah. day. See you in a week. We get the same push at my work. It's like everybody is like realizing, oh, it's Friday already. I've got a whole bunch of stuff I need done. Right. And then they come running, okay, hey, help me with this. It's like, nope. 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 Oh, look at the time. <laughs> I've got a meeting. Got to go. Yeah. Uh, anything new? Uh, there is something new. I uh, just today before I came here, I uh, I purchased my first fly fishing rod. Really? Never had one before. I've played around casting them, and uh, and it, whatever. It's like you know, I, I'm not exactly proficient, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be become an expert by the end of next week. Right. <laughs> sure, that's what you think. I give it, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt and say within two hours, you've sworn more times, <laughs> you've tossed it, you've been frustrated, and it is going down an Algonquin yeah. River. I've caught 18 I'll trees. I'll give you two hours. Yeah. <laughs> ah. I, I've learned actually. I learned a lot today with uh, with with what did with the uh, with the lines for a fly fishing rod. It's like it's it's kind of complicated. There's uh, there's there's the normal line which is fat to thin on one end, and then there's the not the leader but the one between tip the le- the tip line. Tip it. The tippet line, and then the leader line, and then there's dry flies and wet flies. And did you put the backer line on? I didn't put anything on. There's backer line. Then there's the, I presume you got floating line. Yeah. Then there's the tippet. The then tippets, there's the fly. I, I have a floating tippets and I have uh, sinking tippets. Okay. Well, there's this, there's the tippet and then there's the, the, leader. the leader. Yeah. And then you put your fly. Yeah. But underneath your big, thick, plasticky line. Yeah. There's backer line. Huh. And that's just so you, in case you run out. When it, because it, I'm casting so far, I need all of the all line. of it. <laughs> it's not going to happen unless I break it. And you learned all the knots. Have you put it on so already? No, I have to learn some new knots. There's the 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 surgeon's knots. The what's the other one? The Ovitz knot. There's the Albright knot. There's the do knot. <laughs> the do not knot. So you'll have to show me some of these knots because uh, I have learned long ago that when I or I haven't learned the proper knots. So you tie two lines together and they kind of squeeze out of each other. I yeah. gotta learn how to make that knot happen. Yeah, because it's like, what is this line liquid? How did it pull out of that knot? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've had that issue. So yeah, you'll get the the hang. I mean, yeah, I've, I'm, I've, I'm excited. I've. I bought a, I think my rod and real combo were probably like 90 bucks about yeah. oh. 20 years ago. <laughs> and I'm so, still using the same one. So I I was looking at the rod and real combos at Canadian Tire and I there's, there's one for 55, one for 65, one for 79. And uh, I ended up, the, the one, so... <laughs> The, the two cheaper ones are two-piece. Mm-hmm. So they end up being like way too long to go into a, a, a case unless I bought an, a new case. And uh, so then I went with a breakdown that broke, breaks down to three pieces. So, of course, it's a $79 one, the one that's not on sale. And uh, and then I went to sale and uh, and I went to buy some flies because Canadian Tire doesn't have no clue what a fly is. No, they got the little ready-made kits. Yeah, that's right? it. Right, yeah. yeah. So anyways, yeah. I went to sale to look at flies. What? They have some on sale for 80% off. 
But uh, I looked at rods and reels for fly fishing. Wow, what a shocker. Right? Like, we're talking on sale for 300 bucks. Yeah. Just the reel. Oh, if you get Just right into fly fishing Ugh. and tying your own flies and all That's that. crazy. Yeah, it is a whole nother bankroll. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, you can spend <laughs> so much. And, and I'm just like, you know what? I, I'm not a $300 real kind of fisherman. Yeah. I'm I'm a a $50 real kind of fisherman. <laughs> I can do, I'll, you know what? And at, at the end of the day, like they say, it's not the carpenter, it's, or it's not the tools, it's the carpenter. Yes. Right? Yes, sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. So if you're going to be good enough, you can make a $50 reel work just yeah. as good. Cut down an as alder your, and you can make your own rod, cut down an right? alder and throw a reel on it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, you know what? The, the the things that we've done in the past with just trying to fit. I remember um, corn on a, a safety pin <laughs> on a shoelace on the end of a stick. Yeah. It works. We, Not the greatest, but it works. I remember like we had three brooks that ran through my parents' property. And we used to grab a, a chunk of alder, mm-hmm. peel it off, drive a nail into the end of it. And then grind off the nail head so it's pointy and just go spear fishing for, for trout. Right? <laughs> Whatever works, dude. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I've I've I was tempted to go down that whole fly fishing rabbit hole years ago. Mm-hmm. And I right off the bat saw how much money I would end up spending. And I'm thinking, I got too many other expensive hobbies um to to be doing all of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean like you I can't sit still long enough to tie a fly. <laughs> it's pretty cool, and my my hat's off to the guys. I've that seen so sit many videos and start doing all that with the little clips and the little they wind glue this way and, and then throw a little and, feather in, wind the other way, and then wind this way. Yeah, they throw a piece of wire in, wind a wire in, and hook the wire back. It's like wow. Kudos to you. I know. I'll take that one for a dollar, please. <laughs> so this bag of I don't know. There's like a dozen flies here. Yep. So they're all on sale, and like I think the most expensive one was a buck twenty, and the cheapest one was thirty cents. Yeah. So, oh, oh, my, your wife's trying to get a hold of you. I heard that. I I, I never have my ringer on, but uh, I had it on today because I was expecting a call. Way to go! Way now to go. you on, ruined the show. I'm on sale. Now we got to start all over. <laughs> what were we talking about again? Oh yeah, flies. Yeah, no, we used to go to go buy all our fly when we go salmon fishing yeah. and stuff like that, and you just go buy a few of them for to match the hatch. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Depending on what's yeah. coming out. Yeah, and um, yeah, they don't they don't have ones that are just like big ass mosquitoes. <laughs> <laughs> I found some some white spiders that you right? can stick on the end of a hook. It's like, hey, I'll toss oh, a there's spider. So around. many different things. Now yeah. I've used uh, little poppers. Um, uh, I, I'm sure that's not exactly what they're called, but uh, they're like the, almost like a tube shaped jig head oh, okay. fly yeah. with feathers and all that. And I've caught bass and cotton. cotton. I've caught I've caught fish. <laughs> I've caught bass. <laughs> I invented a new word. I have caught uh, a bass and uh, pike and stuff. Yeah on those fly fishing mm-hmm. and it's it's more the having fun just with yeah. the fight and stuff like that <laughs> but yeah i i want to, to do the the trout fishing with the flies and that's a whole new ball game do you know i'm thinking in the back of my mind right now is uh so we've been yammering and talking about fishing and new rod and reel and this that the other thing but unless people have heard the previous two episodes they don't know what the heck we're talking about fishing yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll get into it. So you got a new fly fishing reel. I do. And rod. I do. I'm Combo. excited about it. You'll get to be able to use it next week. Yeah. Uh, I think using it next week just says what's happening. Yes, You're going yes. somewhere fishing yeah, next yeah. week. Um, what's, oh, remember a couple episodes ago we talked about that lifers exp- uh, exhibit at the Royal Ontario Museum? I remember vaguely. Vaguely. So this lady out BC got found a whole bunch of life jackets and stuff on the shore yeah. of, I guess, Vancouver or wherever. Washed up from where? Who's losing their life jacket? I don't jacket? know. That, I, that's a conversation I had with my daughter when Did we were Did she the remove Royal. them from the bodies or? Well, I don't know. That doesn't, she doesn't go into that much detail. Hmm. Was she the one that caused the bodies <laughs> <laughs> to be there to begin with? I don't know. I'm not asking these questions because that could lead into other it's problems. best not to know. It's best not to know. <laughs> she ended up with... All these life jackets in her possession. Yes. 
Uh, if you go back and listen to the episode, uh, <clears throat> basically she put this exhibit together that explains how much water is used and pollution and all that in our water systems just to make clothing. Oh, yes. Right? Yeah. Uh, there was the one stat she said to make some clo- to make your clothing was um, enough water for one person to drink in a year is like one day's Factory, making factory yeah. or something like making that. Making the fabric was it was enough water that for a person to drink yeah. in a year or something like that. I've seen it some was, insane numbers, and and this is why uh, it's Columbia, and I can't remember what the specific model or brand of Columbia it is, but it's a uh, it's a uh, uncolored, unbleached, waterproof Gore-Tex fabric for Columbia. Right. And uh, and because they're not using color, they're not doing all the processing. It's just a natural. It's whatever the fabric happened to be coming out of the machine. They didn't use dyes or whatever. You get what you get. You get what you yeah. get. And uh, so that's, of course, it costs more because. Because <laughs> now it's designer. But it's different. <laughs> it's different looking. You look at yeah. it, it's like, well, that's curious. Looks like the uh, looks like the uh, the uh, the demo model of something out of the hey this is the first one we're thinking of building this yeah <laughs> but no it's actually the so the, so and they say that they save I think they're saying they save like sixty percent uh, less water well the other thing they said in this I- exhibit besides all the water pollution and how much water and all that yeah the average person buys seventy new pieces of clothing a year mm-hmm. I'm sorry it's June, I bought a, a package of underwear, which is five. <laughs> I'm up to five. I don't even know if I got five last year. <laughs> like, I, I, there's no way I personally buy 70 pieces of clothing in a year. And do they count socks individually or pairs? They would of- have to. <laughs> so you buy a bag of socks and a yeah. bag of underwear. There's 50. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I have purchased socks and underwear and three T-shirts so far this year. Nothing Ooh, else. You're at a hundred. <laughs> yeah, there, there was a couple things, but anyway. So you walk into the room, and it, they've got all these life jackets. Yeah. Now what she's done is she's taking uh, like a, a leather jacket, okay. and she's sewn it onto the. So you wouldn't really know it was a, a life jacket, hmm. right? Uh, there was another one. She took um, like the, uh, a gray suit, yeah, and sewed it on. Like the so, suit is, is what's on the inside. Is the life jacket. The life on jacket's the, on the inside. On the inside. Yeah. So you could actually put this life jacket on, and it looks like You're a wearing suit. Suit. So it, it's just the whole connection. Life jackets. Mm-hmm. You know, our our water supply is on. You know, needs life jacket yeah. to to save it, and hmm. that's the whole the whole thing. But it, it was pretty neat. You know, we, we talked about it, so we went down and we actually saw it. Um, we were down well. there looking at dinosaurs and stuff too. So, but, <laughs> but uh, no, no, you know, it was there. So we went and checked it out. And it's de- different. Yeah. And like I say, it's, it's one of those exhibits to bring, you know, uh, awareness to our, the perils that are happening to our mm-hmm. water via the clothing industry. So do you really need that new designer Armani suit? <laughs> or yeah. do you just go buy something that's, yeah. you know. You just, well, the big thing they're saying, like the Goodwills and, or just keep wearing what you got. Mm-hmm. Right? I oh. got a pair of shoes right now that I'm sure one day I'm going to come home and Tracy's going to have thrown them out because <laughs> I was wearing black socks. I'm like, there's no hole. Well, there's a big hole. So the only reason it doesn't look like there's a hole is because I can see my black sock through my black shoe. <laughs> so, yeah. So we went and checked that out and uh, that's cool. Hmm. It's it it pretty neat to look at. I mean, we saw the pictures, but uh, yeah, is it yeah. a traveling display? So it's no, good. I, no, I think this is just it. But she's from Vancouver. I believe so. And she collected her life jackets on the coastal yeah. shores of Vancouver. Vancouver, I think it's Vancouver. I'll have to double check that. Mm-hmm. I know they did some photos up in Georgian Bay. Okay, so yeah, hmm. but yeah, she she rescued all these PFDs and yeah. Sold clothes on them and just, yeah. you know, bring awareness. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yes. It, it was, it was, it, is. it was neat. Uh, what else is going, oh, 
Canadian Canoe Museum. Ah, They yes. have reached the point where they are doing the final portage. They are moving stuff. Uh-huh. We're home to the world's largest and most significant collection of paddled watercraft. Uh, embarking on an extraordinary journey as it prepares to relocate its entire collection from its current landlocked location to a new waterfront campus across the city. Peterborough being that city. Uh, we've talked about this many times, but to build excitement for its op- reopening and invite public support for its historic move, the Canadian Community Museum has launched a new fundraising campaign because this takes money, as we all know. Yes. Move the collection, the final portage is what they're calling it. Campaign led by avid paddling enthusiasts and local community leaders, Mike Judson and Neil Morton. I guess if you live in Peterborough, you would know who these guys are. Yeah. I don't think I know who they and are. And since I don't live in Peterborough, I assume that's why they didn't contact us to uh, right? participate. Or maybe they did and you just didn't answer that. Because you missed. thought it was a, a telemarketer. <laughs> Somebody who's looking to talk to you about your, that number. your extended warranty. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to reach you. Talk to you about your extended warranty. Uh, as a symbolic gesture of the forthcoming move of the entire collection, the two will portage a symbolic canoe throughout Peterborough from the current museum to its new 65,000 square foot home for the campaign's duration, which will release videos at different milestones. I've seen... The first one's up already. Yes. Yeah. I've seen the number several times when it comes to the square footage of the new museum. Mm-hmm. But every time I see it, I still, it's just like I have trouble wrapping my brain around the fact that 65,000 square foot facility. That's a that's, lot of boats. That's big. Like, do they ever say how big the old one was? I've never actually looked. Hmm. Because most of their most of their their watercraft that uh, that are in their collection were in like storage, stored in sea containers and other storage facilities, right? Big old barns. They, yeah. they, I think they could only display like less than a tenth of what they have. They got yeah. They have so many boats up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Canadian Canoe Museum has spent more than two years carefully preparing the collection for its upcoming relocation, diligently cleaning and packing each artifact to ensure the utmost care during the move. As part of the final portage campaign, the Canoe Museum is releasing a series of videos behind the scenes content this summer and fall, featuring Mike Judson and Neil Morton portaging an iconic red canvas canoe. I mean, that's Bill Mason all over it, right? Yeah. Uh, past recognizable landmark, past recognizable landmarks in Peterborough. I bet you one of them will be the lift lock. Oh, it has to be right. It has to be. Well, plus the fact that that was the original site of the, of the, the original plan of the yeah. original. Yeah. <clears throat> this will allow the public to follow the fundraising campaign's progress while building excitement for the museum's reopening, anticipated in the fall. And we were chatting about that because I still haven't given a date. They just keep saying fall. Yeah, and... Because uh, things happen. Exactly. Like, last thing you want to do is stick yourself to a date. Like, uh, anybody who has any calendar thing is like, hey, we got to have it on this date. It's like, oh, delays. Yeah. And Especially delays. building and yeah. something like this. It's best to yeah. have it generalized. Yeah. I think they have a ballpark idea of when they want to open. But They're just not telling anybody yet. Yeah. Until uh, I closer to the date. Yeah. They got to see how the move goes first. And, yeah. Because like I say, any little thing can happen. It's cool that they're taking time to like clean everything at the, before they move it to. Mm. Right? Yeah. Make sure everything's clean, everything's good and, and whatnot. Uh, to view the videos, visit canoemuseum.ca backslash final dash portage. You will see these videos as they come out. Uh, McWilliams Moving and Storage has joined the final portage campaign as the lead sponsor and official mover of the collection. There you go. So they got local people there to to help them move. Because I guess it'd be quite the journey to portage every single boat. Yeah, you might, yeah. Like if there's like a a really old native uh, dugout canoe, it's like yeah, yeah, throw it on top of the van. It's like well, no, you know you're not going like, to do that. I I would. <laughs> More than be happy to take my truck up there and help them portage a couple of canoes over to their new. <laughs> yeah. No, where'd Sean go? I don't know. <laughs> hey, did, didn't, you, didn't you move a canoe for us? Uh, no. I don't know what you're talking about. The person you're looking for is not in service right now. 
join the Canadian Canoe Museum in inspiring Canada by canoe. The support and support the collection in making its final portage to its new home at the water's edge. To donate, visit canoemuseum.ca backslash final dash portage if you want to send a couple shekels their way. Uh, every little bit helps. Um, and at the end, you know, just means that we've got a better collection to go yes. take a peek at later. Yes, exactly. Now, businesses that are interested in sponsorship opportunities, so, you know, people that want their name connected with yes and help out the 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 canoe museum contact rose terry philanthropy associate at rose.terry at canoemuseum.ca so if you're a local business and you thought you think you might want to get in on the action here and yeah. help out then uh give rose terry a little drop mm-hmm. her a line and uh tell them that you're interested cool that's gonna be cool i can't wait for it to open Yes. We're going up there. Yes, We're going we'll have up to there. Go interview them. Right? Again. Well, it'd be not, it's too bad they won't be open. Well, I guess I'll have to do the math. If they're open for our 400, by the time we're four, because we're getting close. Because 82, 83, yeah. Well, they might be open by the time we do our 400th episode. Yeah. We'll get Carolyn Hislop and Kevin Callan. We'll weeks. do a redo of our first episode. What are we, 12, Is it 12 14, weeks? 15 weeks? No, they're not, not going to be open. Well, not with an attitude like that, <laughs> Derek. I have more faith in the Canoe Museum than you do. It's fall. <laughs> it's June already. 15 I weeks know. is what? Three months? Four. Four months? 16 weeks is four months. Okay. So... July, August, September. Yeah. There you go. See? I told That's you. Fall. I told you it would work. It's going to happen while I'm away, too. <laughs> <laughs> first, first week, October. Yeah, I'm not here. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll we'll get up there uh, when it's open and we'll mm-hmm. do a little thing with Kevin Callan and Carolyn again and yeah. recreate. Oh, I'll have to get Johnny Stinson and Hiker back out, <laughs> out this yeah. way. Or we'll just get we'll just get some stunt doubles. Yes. <laughs> so back in two thousand and eight, Lorianne March was up at the visitor center in Algonquin signing her book, A Fork in the Trail, mm-hmm, her yep. cookbook, mm-hmm. and I got her to sign it. I'd already had my dehydrator for a couple of years at that point. Yeah. And uh, one of the things in her dehydrator or her book that you could dehydrate, because it's all dehydrated meals and yeah. stuff, right? Uh, roasted garlic powder. Oh, yes. So it's not even like part of the recipe. It's just in the beginning part mm-hmm. of saying, you know, some spices you can take on, make this at yeah. home and take it with you on the on your backpack or your canoe trips and that sort of stuff. I've been making that since 2008. Mm-hmm. And, like, we've always got a, a container of it. I, I haven't bought garlic powder since 2008. Yeah. It's always roasted garlic yeah. powder I, I've made in the dehydrator. House reeks for three days. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It smells like a grandma's house in here. Hey, your mama. <laughs> You're making the spaghetti sauce. <laughs> I do that. Tracy, well, I smell like Italian grandma's house in here. <laughs> yeah, it, it smells like garlic and... But it's good, right? Yes. So we ran out. So we went and did the garlic, roasted it, and got all dehydrated. And I've been noticing the last couple times I've used my dehydrator. Yeah. It's taking longer and longer (laughs) to dehydrate things. Yeah. Um, Now, I've got a Nesco American Harvest. I have the same one. It's got a switch on the top. Mm-hmm. Mine had a dial for temperature. I, mine mine was, had no dial. Mine must have been a newer model or something because the one I had was a Nesco American Harvest and I could dial in. It, it had pictures. It had pictures of meat all the way down to vegetables and, and like spices and stuff. Mine had an on and an off <laughs> and that was it. There was no meat pictures. The only meat was what was I was yeah. dehydrating. Yours lasted longer than mine. Mine died three years ago. Really? Yeah. Wow. Well, I did the de- I did the garlic powder there, and usually it takes five to seven hours. Yeah. 
13 hours later. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm getting suspicious here. Man. Something's wrong. <laughs> so it was it was mostly done. Yeah. Uh, I'd say it was about 95% done. So I have an old coffee grinder that I grind it up in, into the powder. <laughs> have you ever tried grinding coffee in it again? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I clean it out, right? It's, it's my coffee grinder. So it's just a little $10 coffee grinder. I've done ghost pepper. I, I've Oh, I'm I, not that foolish. I've done ghost peppers and garlic and basil and whatever in that coffee grinder. It's like, this coffee grinder can never be used for coffee again. No, I use the mortar and pestle for that stuff. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, but no, the, the, I throw that in the coffee grinder and I had to then put a piece of parchment paper on a, on a, a cookie sheet. Yeah. And spread out the, the powder and put it, I think our oven goes down to 170. Oh, okay. So I put it in there for about a um, half hour to finish drying. Yeah. And then sifted it and whatever was left, I put in the coffee grinder again, ground it. and <laughs> So it all ended up being yeah. ground and, and into powder and stuff. But it's time for a new dehydrator, <laughs> methinks. I'm uh, just getting the sneaky suspicion. I'm glad I didn't start with the beef jerky. Oh, yeah. Because that would have been a whole thing of beef jerky. So much waste. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, because even then I would have been like, uh, just, you don't know at that point, right? And I've, my, my oven goes down to 170. It has a dehydrator setting. Oh, really? But it's not the same as a dehydrator. So you, it goes on, it goes into convection mode and it sits there at 170. But you know what? Some dehydrators are down at like 130, 135 and whatever, depending on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like the spices, fruits and veggies and whatever, like 130, 135. But you don't want to cook them. Like you don't want to cook uh, carrots or peppers or whatever. You want to just dry them. Dry them out, Whereas yeah. meat goes at a higher temperature because you want to kind of cook it. Well, you want to get rid of the... Fat, fat, you want the fats fat to, to be, melt yeah. out. And well, you, you you don't want fat on there because it doesn't render properly. It, yeah, like, it gets it, rancid. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't definitely don't want anything. So rancid, yeah, my oven so. didn't my oven dehydrated, but it didn't do the right thing. So I, I definitely need a dehydrator. Yeah, so I think that's going to be my next purchase. I, I'm, I think the ne- like I say, I, I got this one from Home Hardware. They had them there. I were there for something else. And I thought, yeah. oh, a dehydrator. <laughs> I gotta get me a dehydrator. And, and I did, and I've been using it religious. That's like over fifteen years old now. So, when I, yeah. I, I pretty much the same one as you. When I bought it, the only place I could find it was at a Shoppers Drug Mart in Vancouver, <laughs> British Columbia. So I ordered it from the store, and they shipped it here to Ontario. <laughs> yeah, no, I was uh, in the Ajax Plaza, the old Ajax Plaza. They have a home hardware. Oh yeah, I happened to be in there one day and I saw it there. And like, ooh. they had the fruit trays and extra See, trays. You I buy. bought all the extra trays and everything. And there's what I'm going to do? I recycle them, I guess. I'm guessing, but I'm looking. Like I say, you plug it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, flip the switch, <laughs> and you have to. They give you a little guesstimate timesheet. To yeah. say how long it'll be. I mean, I've done things like Hungarian goulash in there. And, oh, yeah. Um, um, like all these different foods that I would take on canoe trips. Mm-hmm. You know, it's cheaper than going and buying. And, uh, you know, all these pre-made well, meals and stuff. It's but. not just that it's cheaper. Like for me and Siobhan, when we were like, we got to this big thing. We wanted kids to eat healthy and stuff. So every camping trip, we did proper vegetables like carrots and peppers yeah. and onions and and it's like we're not it's not processed food it's just natural chopped up dehydrated good food yeah yeah right yeah that's and that's that's exactly why i got it so i could i could make different things mm-hmm. like i say you get the dehydrated cookbook yeah and that and um yeah i was making all these dehydrated meals and there's like oh it's that's tasty and, mm-hmm. and whatnot and enjoying it and so now I'm looking at new ones, but I'm not going to get a round one again. Yeah. Because when I do the, if I have to line the trays, yeah, I get the parchment paper. Oh yeah. And yeah. I got to cut the circle. And, exactly. It's a pain in the butt. Uh, yeah. If it was square, I could just rip off a chunk <laughs> and be done with it. Because you know you got to cut the uh, you got to cut the circle on the outside. Then you got to cut the the middle circle where the dehydrator yeah, exactly. core goes through and uh, whatever. Uh, look at the square one. There's the Excalibur like nine tray. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would totally be a massive up. It'd be like going from a Volkswagen Bug 
to like a Range Rover <laughs> yes, or something yeah, yeah. like that. <laughs> uh, massive, massive upgrade, but it's also a lot more expensive. Uh, I'm looking at, I was looking at uh, just doing some quick looking at dehydrators. I can pick up a cheapie like mine for 50 bucks or go up to $2,000 for a dehydrator. Yeah. $2,000, I'm probably going to be looking into a, um, uh, what's the freeze dryer? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm spending two thousand. Yeah. I'm getting a freeze dryer, yeah. not a, a dehydrator. Uh, I've, I always do enough jerky. I've usually have to do it in two batches mm-hmm. because it's so small, right? I can do two, one batch, yeah. and then I take that out, and then I. So I mean, if you're looking for ten hours, all of a sudden it's twenty hours mm-hmm. of, of dehydrating to get. Mind you, that's an awful lot of jerky. So, uh, but these. Bass Pro has a, a 10 and a 12 tray oh, yeah. dehydrators. But um, not the Excalibur one. Not the Excalibur. Yeah. They, they got their their own, they call it the Cabela's 10 oh, okay. sort of thing, right? The Cabela's 12. But they look pretty much exactly the mm-hmm. same. Um, yeah, I'm definitely going to have to pick up something uh, a bit bigger than what I, I've got. I, I, I reached out to Kim Switzer and uh, I, because she's she was doing a bunch of uh, dehydrating stuff over winter and stuff. And it's like, oh, I reached out and said, hey, what do you use? And she's got the 9, Excalibur 9, and she swears by it. So it's yeah. like, you know what? Word of mouth is pretty good. She mm-hmm. she likes that machine. So I figured that's the one I'm going to get. I just haven't pulled the trigger yet. Yeah, well, I think uh, early in the season, if I want some homemade beef jerky, yeah. I'm going to have to buy something soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, if anybody out there uses a dehydrator, uh, drop us a line there, tag, uh, or make a comment on our Facebook page there. Um, what dehydrators are you using, and any pros and cons? Would you buy it again? I'd like to know, like the kind of research stuff that you people have done. Like, why did you choose what you chose? And because you, Home Hardware had one, that's why. Exactly. So that's not the research <laughs> I'm looking for. Because <laughs> no one else had one that yeah. I knew at the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Why did you get? Why did you get that one that you had? And uh, any pros and cons? Would you buy yeah. it again? If you knew then what you know now, yeah, I'd buy four of them. <laughs> uh, I'd get one with a little. What'd you say? Yours had had a meat. Uh, thing yeah, set te- temperatures, yeah. yeah. And and so back to the freeze dryer. So I don't think, well, I just don't know because I assume you can't, but like you can't, I don't think you can do beef jerky in a free- freeze dryer. Yeah, Basically, it just, it just dry. removes, not, it dries it. It doesn't, yeah. because with jerky, you want it cooked. Well, if you think of any freeze dried food you had, the meat that's in it, yeah. that's what you'd be getting. Yeah. So you'd have to you'd have to add water to your, to your beef jerky. jerky in order to get it to the <laughs> jerky get consistency. Back to raw meat again, right? <laughs> it's just a vicious circle, <laughs> and he died. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so one thing I won't be having with me next week, as you and I are on a canoe trip for nine days. Yes, correct. Together. I know. Wow. We've been on trips before. Oh yeah. Yeah. Have we been on? A, we haven't been on a nine-day one. No, no, we no. did. Uh, who were we with? Uh, Mark was there. Mike. Mike we did was uh, there. Brigham shoot mm-hmm. over um, uh, the Barren Canyon way. Yes, correct. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And I got that picture of me standing on the edge of the can of uh, the the cliff. Yeah, holding the sign. Oh yes, yeah. the blank sign for you could. Did you ever do anything with that? Yeah. Oh, I put a couple things on yeah. there, and the one was. Uh, Tracy said, don't let me do anything stupid. And I'm hanging over this cliff and you guys are sitting there watching me do it. Egging you on. (laughs) Oh, you guys, Tracy's mad at you. Don't let him do anything stupid. Look at me hanging over the cliff. (laughs) Idiots. (laughs) Uh, yeah, we're heading out uh, on a nine day canoe trip in Algonquin next week. Yeah. We're going to enjoy fishing. our time with the bugs. Get some fishing in. Do some fishing, regular and fly fishing. Yes. So, is bass season going to be open? Yeah, everything will be open. I think bass season opens at the end of our trip. Yeah. Yeah. At the end. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm not going for bass. Yeah. I'm not going for pike. Going for trout. I'm going for trout. Mm-hmm. Trout fishing. The rest of it is. A lot of them are gone deep already, I think. Oh yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They've just gone deep. So, mm-hmm. but when you're there's a lot of river stuff, we're creeks doing and too. stuff. Yeah, 
yeah. So uh, yeah, we'll we'll be hitting some spots mm-hmm. that uh, you can get some uh, nice size ones there for a couple of pans. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to that. Uh, one of the things I'm going to do, I figure I'm going to sort of get out of my regular. I'm not bringing a tent. And neither am I. I'm not bringing a tent. I'm bringing a tarp. You're being a bit more brave than me. I am going to sleep with the fishes. <laughs> uh, I'm going to sleep with the snakes and the bugs. And I'm going to do, I think I said five different ways of sleeping. Yeah. All of them with my eyes closed, hopefully. <laughs> All of them without bears, hopefully. So you're going to do the voyagers. Uh, I'm going to do the, well, I'm bringing my regular hammock. Just a regular, every not not one of these Hennessy hammocks Mm -hmm. or anything like that. Just a regular hammock. I'm going to sleep in that. That's one. Um, Just beside the campfire, which right now there's a fire ban on. Oh, yeah. So it'll be either beside the embers of a fire or the ash of old fire. (laughs) Just going (laughs) to. I've done that before. But if you put your thermorest inside your hammock, it get, gets your it keeps you away from the cold. Oh, that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, But when I'm sleep, I'm going to sleep right beside the fire. Uh, yeah. Nothing above me. Mm-hmm. Just no stars. Tarp? No tarp. No nothing. Um, then there will be the under the canoe, mm-hmm. right, which I've done that before. In the canoe on the water, which I've done before. And you're bringing your bug tent. Yes, my bringing my Nemo twelve by twelve bug tent. Yeah, yeah, and I'm going to sleep in that. That's yeah. five ways. Five different ways to sleep over nine days. I'm only sleeping in the bug tent because you don't like bugs. Well, it's not that more than it's. it's I just don't want to bring. If I'm bringing a bug tent, I'm not going to bring a regular tent. Yeah. If I'm bringing a bug tent, I'm not bringing a hammock. Why do you bring a tent? Because it gives me that false sense of security. Right? <laughs> The bears won't eat me inside the tent because I can't see them. Because a tent to a bear is like like a a sweet surprise. (laughs) When it bites into the tent, it don't know what it's getting. (gasps) Tacos! This is is a Derek! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I had a Derek last year. (laughs) It gave me indigestion. Yeah, so tents are, it's that false insecurity. You can't see what's going to eat you, so you must be safe. Yeah, and it gives you that false sense of size. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that little frog sounds like a moose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? You start to think about that. Because mm-hmm. like I say, I'm not bringing a tent. I'm yeah. going to sleep under. I've got a tarp. I always bring a tarp. So why do I need a tent? Yeah. And yeah, it just, and it saves me a few pounds of mm-hmm. and space. Right. Well, and also, like I don't know, there's a, there's a whole slew of stuff. Like you know, back in the day, people slept in canvas tents, no floor, and and then we went to the tents with proper floors with waterproof tubs, and and so I don't know, it's 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 you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other, and and uh, so I've slept in the uh, I, me and Mike Burns have gone on trips with just the bug tent. I did the meanest link with this bug tent. Just we all slept just in the bug tent, and uh, took the family up into Mogami. We slept in just the bug tent, so it was just open on on the ground. Put a tarp down to keep the water off. But I, you know, it's it's like there's there's mice running around in there with you. And I remember my youngest Beckett. He was uh, eight at the time, or was he nine? Anyways, I I rolled over. I looked at Beckett, and there was a frog sleeping on his chest, while the frog was awake. Becca was sleeping. The frog was on his chest. I had to reach over and grab the frog, and and I just scooted him under the mesh of the wall and put the frog out outside the tent. But it's like, well, that was interesting. Huh. Or you see a mouse get trapped in there. It's trying to figure out a way out. So, so yeah, there's no. You're not in a sealed environment, but also you can sit there and and see all the animals going by. You can wake up in the middle of the night and see the stars and whatever. It's it's nicer. The the breeze does come through. It's not ideal for like uh, oh, shoulder and... season or windy cold weather because yeah. it just blows through. So you don't have that insulating factor. But yeah, it's I, I like the bug tent just because you can see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's all I'll be doing it this next week. Yeah, I'm going to try all different types. Mm-hmm. Just because I can't. <laughs> fire ban may still be on. Hopefully it's... I mean, you don't need a fire, but no, it's nice but it's in the evenings to sit there. And, yeah. something to stare at. You know, that yeah. caveman thing going on in the back brain. and Hoping for good weather. Not too hot. Not too rainy, even though we need it. We do. Yeah. That's I know there's a few days they're saying like... Less than a millimeter of rain, which means it's going to be cloudy with 
some yeah. mist every so I often. I think most days are going to be overcast. Yeah. Which, if you do, I mean, there's some big portages. We're doing the Dixon Bond Field, uh. which is over five. We're doing the one from Big Crow to, to um, Hogan, which is yep. over four yep. kilometers. There's a couple others that are three kilometers. At the end of the week, we're just, just over, over 25 kilometers of portage. Yeah, 26 click, 26 yeah. clicks. It's going to be fun. Uh, uh, so, yeah, so if it's not too hot and you're doing that, that's cool. But going it, all the bugs will be out, though. If the sun's not out, the bugs are out. Yeah, that's why you paddle fast and run. <laughs> you run down the portage, buddy. I'm going l- as lightweight as I've ever been. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not bringing anything extra. Yeah. I have a canoe seat that I use on the canoe. Yeah. I also use it as to kneel on. And I also use it as a seat at a campsite. So mm-hmm. I'm not even bringing a regular camp chair, like a little, one of those little, um, yeah, what are those? Not can I remember the name of them? <laughs> the, the small chairs that came out. Yeah. Yeah. The folding chairs. Those yeah. things. Yeah. Uh, I'm not even bringing that. Helion so Yeah. Helion. I'm not even bringing anything like that. I am. Uh, hoping to see wildlife. Lots of it. Just not at night looking down at me. <laughs> hey, dude, where's your tent? <laughs> Somebody stole it. <laughs> uh, comfort zone, definitely leaving the comfort zone on this one because, uh, like I say, no tent. Yeah. A lot less gear than used to bringing. Yes. You know, trying to get it down to one pack and that is it. One pack and fishing, fishing that's, rods. That's easy enough. It's uh, it's uh, it's some of the auxiliary gear that you might have that might take up room and yeah, we're not going to have a bear barrel, so we're going to have to hang some stuff. So an extra waterproof pack for that, and I don't know. We'll yeah, see. No, not me, man. I'm getting one thing, my my sea line 115 yeah. liter bag, and that is it. Mm-hmm. That's I'm going to have two packs. Are you? Yeah. The I waterproof don't... pack, which yeah. acts as a day pack and a food pack, hang from the tree. And I guess I could use this. My uh, Well, see, I use that that pack. I end up, I have the same pack, but it ends up packed in my, my sea yeah. line. I suppose yeah, just yeah. the 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 water, canoe the canoe pack can be up in the tree. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to some relaxed time, sunset scenery, paddling mm-hmm. challenges, laughing at you mostly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you see the way the bear got you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, gonna be taking our GoPros. So it's early season. There should be moose. Oh, yeah, and babies. Because it's the heat of the summer when they all kind of go deeper into the bush, yep. and maybe you'll see them first thing in the morning. So we should see some moose. Well, I'm we're doing the uh, from Little Crow to Big Crow. We're doing the river. Oh yeah, there'd be some moose. And along we've there. seen moose in there before. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. And you're going to bring some GoPros. So we'll, a couple of GoPros. We'll get some animals that, so. on film. Yeah. Yeah. Animals gone wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to be fun. It's been, and you're bringing I, your new fly rod. I am. To hopefully catch we'll some s- flies. Wonder, we should put some money on uh, no, on like day one through day nine, which day it's going to get broken. <laughs> uh, it won't be one or two, maybe three. I'm looking at day four. It might get broken on day four. Day four, day five. <laughs> That's where my is, is. It's one of those two days. It's, Most it's either the- getting broken or it'll be on the bottom of a river. <laughs> <laughs> because... Because because the trout was so big, it pulled the rod right out of my hand. Yeah, and there and and there's you stomping back to camp, swearing. Stupid! <laughs> I need a stick with a string. <laughs> That'll be great. I wasn't even going to bring a a net. Yeah, I, I always bring a small net. I don't think we're going to catch anything think... that needs a net. Everything's going to be small. What kind of attitude are we <laughs> dealing with here? It was at least nine inches. Too many people are in the Between the There's eyes. The, yes. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Uh, what else we got? Oh, Art Carts Husonica. You sound like you just forgot how to speak English there for a second. Right? Art Carts. Carts is his nickname, I guess. Yeah. Husonica. 72-year-old... From Sun City, Arizona, is making another attempt at an epic record-setting journey on the Yukon River, the Yukon River, from Whitehorse to the Bering Sea, distance of approximately 2,020 miles or 3,250 kilometers. 
Uh, at the beginning, he'll have three people joining him for the first part of the trip. They will paddle with him to Dawson City, where they'll say, see ya, buddy, and off he goes. They've, they're already doing the trip right now. They put it in on May 27th at Car, uh, CarMax. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So he started at CarMax because he did Whitehorse to CarMax last year. He was forced out last year at Oh, CarMax. so he's, he's not redoing the whole trip. He's no, just he's, finishing. he's finishing his, what yeah. he did. Why did he have to leave last year? I th- it says he was forced. So I don't know if he was just not doing well or... Um, weather and stuff like that. Because there is one thing saying the 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 river is angry, oh, and he's not letting you do it. Hmm. So there's a, there's a whole there, there a bunch was, of First Nations people up there are telling him, dude, you had to stop. There was uh, I know there's a lot of forest fires up that way, but there wasn't there a race last year that had to be canceled due to high water. Was it the Yukon Quest? Was it canceled? No, it wasn't yeah. canceled last year, was it? There was high water, and they had all of the oh, yeah, all the yes, gate yes. points were underwater. Yeah, so they yeah, you're right. That sounds familiar. Yeah, um, Yukon River Quest is coming up soon. I'm trying mm-hmm. to remember which one that is. That's the big one on the Yukon River. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm tra- <laughs> I'm trying to reference in my head. <laughs> anyway, they put in uh, May 27th. He started again uh, from Carmax. He hopes to be out to the Bering Sea by the end of July. Mm-hmm. If the winds and tides are fair, favorable, he's going to go out, sit in the Bering Sea for a half an hour, and let his GPS ping to record the fact that he's out there. That's cool. Right? Yeah. Uh, after having to give up on his attempt last year, he says the goal is to uh, still to paddle in an open canoe the entire Yukon River from one of the source lakes, which was Bennett, uh, Bennett Lake. Uh, but I just have to put the caveat that it's over a two calendar year period. Yeah. And he's documenting his journey with drones and GoPros, that sort of stuff. Now, his progress can be tracked uh, on Yukon2020.com. Because I guess he's had that going since 2020. Or is it because the distance is 2,020 miles? Oh, there you go. I don't know. I, I see the connection there. Yeah. Did he start? That's because probably, he started yeah. this in 2022. Yeah. He's, he did it. He tried it last year in 2022, but he may have yeah. attempted. I think the 2020 well, the, is the uh, It's got to be the mileage. Yeah. The, the mileage. Yukon2020.com. Good yeah. idea. And if he was Canadian, he would have been Yukon3251. 30 <laughs> 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 is there an old cheesy movie <laughs> with Kurt Russell and <laughs> Race? 2020 uh, something. I Death can't. Race 2000. Death Race 2000. Right? That's it. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> uh, now, I know the last time I looked, uh, June 2nd, he had made it to Dawson City, and he's well past that now. So, um, yeah. But, uh, no, you know, it's well, hopefully he way. does it, and we'll keep a, a track of Yukon2020.com to see where mm-hmm. where he is. So, that's cool. Yes. Going down to Hawaii. This one had me scratching my head. I was, I was. I, I don't know the one. purpose of why they did it, except maybe they're thinking it's time to redo them, or something. I don't know. Yeah. There's, so there's a, a canoe regatta organizers damaged up to sixty coral colonies on Kailua Bay in uh, Hawaii Island while setting up for a race. Dive teams from the State Department of Land and Natural Resources documented the damage. And the department paused the founder's regatta when it was discovered that 16 cinder block lane markers had been dropped on live coral. The race was allowed to continue after a preliminary inspection. All but three of the blocks had been relocated and uh, the Department of Land and Natural Resources stated that those three blocks are located on mostly dead coral rubble. So they managed to hit coral no matter what. Yeah. Just some of it was dead. Chris Teague of the uh, DLNR's Division of Aquatic Resources said that the canoe races have been using block moorings for 40 to 50 years, but it is the new blocks that caused the damage. So they didn't actually say why they decided they would use new blocks this year. If old blocks already exist. So they had blocks that were already permanently affixed to the reef. Mm-hmm. They've been there for a while. And then 
like I'm wondering, like, did they have a change of was there a change of guard? Was there is there new people that are organizing it? And they said we need new blocks. Like they just use cinder blocks on yeah. ropes and it drop them to the bottom randomly for whatever reason. This season, the organization seemed to want to put new blocks in place. And if you're going to put new blocks in place, you need to send down divers in in sensitive areas with coral reefs. Like I don't know, like yeah. I, it just somebody wasn't using their brain. Yeah. These new ones uh, have been replaced. Uh, those are the ones that have been causing the damage that we're concerned about, he says. They said it, it will compile the dive team's findings into a written report for the Division of Aquatic Resources. They will then decide whether to submit an action to the Board of Land and Natural Resources, which action? would mean penalties. And- well, I'm wondering about that because I know that uh, it's you often hear about major fines and penalties for cruise ships that drop anchor into a coral reef and stuff mm-hmm. like that. They, you can there's some serious penalties, and uh, for these guys, there's got to be some sort of consequence. Now, mind you, a cinder block versus a boat anchor. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> like true. a ship's anchor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're confident that we will collectively come up with a plan that allows canoe racing to continue while simultaneously protecting our precious natural resources. Mm-hmm. Oops. So, yeah. It could have just been a total we did not know. Yeah. You know, if those have been there for 40, 50 years, they, they did. You know what? Let's just re- let's just change them this year, not realizing. Yeah, there's coral down that there. That these were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't just go all willy nilly. Yeah, and and you think to yourself, it's like people who are planning, organizing, probably live in Hawaii. They're probably like they're they're native of the area or whatever. So it's like, why aren't you thinking about the area that you're mm-hmm. impacting, right? Curious, yeah. yeah I, like curious. I said, I, I was could be any number of one. Yeah. any number of reasons. So yeah. uh, let's head on over to Indonesia. Ooh. Tourists in Indonesia are discovering the benefits of mangroves. Discovering as the, just now, yeah. Uh, as the archipelago pushes to replant or conserve carbon-rich coastal areas that have been decimated by human activity. Mangroves in Indonesia, a country more than 17,000 islands and miles of shoreline, have dwindled to about 4.1 million hectares. That's 10.1 million acres. As urban development or seafood farming replaces what is a natural defense against rising sea levels and saltwater intrusion. We've come across other stories that have talked about this mangrove swamps being destroyed for for um, buildings and factories and all that sort of stuff. Farming, water farming, aquatic farming and stuff like that. Last year alone, the country lost 700,000 hectares of mangroves. That's a lot. Yeah. In Uh, one year? In one year, according to Indonesia's Mangrove and Peatlands Restoration Agency. Indonesia hopes that alongside state efforts, ecotourism, and that's been around for a number of years now is a big thing, uh, involves people exploring, planting, and caring for the forests will help them understand their importance as carbon stores and biodiversity hotspots. It's got all the, the markings of yeah. of it, right? They have all the keywords. And- a lot of people and businesses have these mangrove forests leveled down and then build a tourist spot above it by piling <laughs> sand to make artificial beaches. Yeah, that's helpful. That contradicts nature's preservation, says the owner of the Mangrove Paddling Center, which organizes tours in the mangroves of Jakarta. A 98-hectare Anke Kapuk Nature Reserve Park, where the tour operate is a is but a tiny part of what environmental experts say the world needs to reverse the damage that has been wrought on mangroves and other wetlands hmm. let's just mow this down <laughs> let's tear down the parking lot and build a parking lot yeah 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 while government funding has uh, risen in the past five years support from private institutions and non-governmental organizations is still needed wow hmm. interesting that's, that's a yeah it's nice to get the tourism in there, but yeah. to destroy everything just to get it in there. Like, why are you going there? <laughs> There's yeah. other places to go if you want a beach. Yeah. Well, like, why are you building in a sensitive area a brand new beach to bring in tourists? It's like, so I'm not anti-business or anything, but, you know, there's you can create an appropriate business or find some way to get tourists into a place without destroying it. Right? It It is possible. 
Ah, it's just crazy talk. I know. Uh, the UK Maritime Coast Guard Agency. <laughs> so, I'll mention it later, but there's one thing that they never talked about in this, and and I'm curious about it. Alrighty. Two inflatable paddling pools, a giant inflatable duck, paddleboards, kayaks, and even a rubber dinghy were among items blown out to sea as it issued a warning about their use at beaches. And now you see all these people, like the big pink flamingos mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. all that sort of stuff. Um, so that's what we need is more plastics in the ocean. Right. Uh, people bring these to the beaches and they just put them on their, you know, oh, I'm going to go use it. I'll just leave it on the shore here. <laughs> well, when the, the winds yeah, yeah, strike yeah, up. Yeah. The agency posted footage described as showing the rescue of three people from a paddling pool that had blown out to sea. (laughs) So somebody's pool, pool. inflatable pool. Instead of putting the water in it, they used it as a boat on the water. Interesting. Um, Yeah, it it was taking on water. So maybe get a refund on that. (laughs) Uh, And the inflatable ended up so far offshore that the footage from the helicopter cannot see land. (laughs) We're so far from land that... The three were winched to safety before returning to shore where they were met by uh, Adrosan and Air Coast Guard rescue teams. Agency included details of a number of other recent rescues. Another incident in the area involved a dinghy with four people on board as well as two people in difficulty on a paddleboard. And that's not the first time we've heard that. No. Correct. Uh, New Haven Lifeboat has also been called to recover a family being blown offshore, this time in a dinghy, while Plymouth and Yelm, Yelm Coast Guard rescue teams were joined by partners in the rescue of four paddleboarders in difficulty at Bovisand Bay. King of Bridge and Bigbury Coast Guard rescue teams and Hope Cove Independent Lifeboat also recovered four people stranded on rocks having been blown offshore on paddle boards. Uh, (laughs) Wow. Uh, Lifeboat was able to rescue everyone and bring them to the beach to be met and checked over by Coast Guard teams. It follows the rescue of two people from an inflatable duck (laughs) 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 at the Westward Ho Beach. (laughs) So if you're taking items to the beach to use, yeah. pay attention to winds and be prepared. I'll <laughs> <laughs> like that at the end. This all follows yeah. the rescue of two people from a giant inflatable duck. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, what didn't they uh, include in all that? Well, what they didn't include is, and I don't know, it really depends on the agency and their standard practices, but... I know that here in Ontario on most lake areas is if somebody finds a boat wandering down a lake, generally they, like here on Lake Ontario, if mm-hmm. there's, an, if there's a, a abandoned boat out on the lake, somebody's going to have to say, oh, we better see if there's a missing person. So an, a, a lost watercraft sometimes ends up causing an unnecessary search. Yeah. Because you don't know if somebody was on that watercraft when it became lost. So do we have to go and start sending out search teams to figure out if anybody was on that boat? Is anybody's head bobbing in the water or did they get separated? So it's, uh, I, I remember reading stories about that. It's like it's, oftentimes they say, stake out your paddleboard. If, if we find your paddleboard, we don't know if we have to go looking uh, for you. start looking for a person that maybe got separated by accident. Yeah. He's like, over at the ice cream stand, not realizing his yeah, and, paddleboard's and five miles somebody's out. Somebody's doing a search, and yeah. so yeah, it's. But I guess over there, it's like when you're talking open ocean, it's like, yeah, you're already gone, so we're not going to try and do a search. But maybe on Lake Ontario or I'm whatever. on my way to France. See ya. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yeah, so if you've got any of these things uh, and you're taking them to the beach. Tie know, them down. And if you're going out or... and using them, be careful that you don't get washed yeah. offshore. Because so a lot of people don't appreciate the fact that uh, when you're talking open ocean and stuff like this, there, there's a lot of undertoes that sweep off of a beach. Yep. And it doesn't take much for you. You're not strong enough to to paddle against a, an undertow and you're going to get washed out to sea. And, and so it's, you know, paddle around in, in safe, protected harbors. Don't 
take a chance on an open ocean. Especially beach. if you knew. I know, especially, right? Yeah, or a whole yeah. family. Yeah. Yeah, I stick close. Yeah, and they never mentioned life jackets on these people. Ah. Chances are they didn't have any. Yeah, especially in that pool. Yeah, the floating pool. In the giant rubber duck. <laughs> that floating pool uh, kind of gives me an idea, though. It's like, huh. <laughs> I'm going to France. <laughs> uh, you got anything else? <laughs> I don't. That's all I got. So next, there will be an episode next week. Yes. Uh, no, but we won't, we'll be busy doing other things yes. while that episode so is playing. So we are about to record next week's episode right, right now. now. <laughs> <laughs> Stick around. <laughs> Somebody's going to hang around for a week. For us, it's going to be five minutes. For everybody else, it's, it's going to be a week. week. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, righty. Uh, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download or stream episodes at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, all your favorite podcast downloading sites. Or you can go to the episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com and you can download or stream all our episodes there. Uh, apparently, paddling podcasts on Player FM, apparently we were number one paddling podcast to listen to. When was this? Last well, week? Last week or something like that, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Eh. Weird things come up on my... Are we the only one? No. No, there's actually uh, a bunch of them. We're number one. How many are there? One. One. (laughs) I came first and last. (laughs) I got gold medal and silver (laughs) and a participation medal all at once. I am that good. Uh, If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with family, friends, and fellow paddlers. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. 